The miracle of the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the formulation of the laws of physics is a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor deserve. We should be grateful for it and hope that it will remain valid in future research and that it will extend, for better or for worse, to our pleasure, even though perhaps also to our bafflement to wide branches of learning. The late Princeton mathematician Eugene Wigner. Mathematics, rightly viewed, possesses not only truth, but supreme beauty, a beauty cold and austere like that of sculpture, without appeal to any part of our weaker nature, without the gorgeous trappings of painting or music, yet sublimely pure and capable of a stern perfection such as only the greatest art can show. The true spirit of delight, the exaltation, the sense of being more than man, which is the touchstone of the highest excellence, is to be found in mathematics as surely as in poetry. Bertrand Russell. Bottomless wonders spring from simple rules, which are repeated without end. Benoit Mandelbrot. None of these men believed in the God of the Bible, yet they all recognized the wonder, simplicity, depths, and beauty of mathematics. Their testimonies about mathematics confirm the truth of Scripture, namely that we can discern and rightly understand God's invisible attributes through what he has created. Mathematics is not a physical thing like stars or planets or a cup of coffee, yet it pervades the entire universe. Numbers, equations, calculations, sums, quantities are all the warp and woof of the fabric of space and time. We can understand everything from the most distant galaxy to the tiniest components of the atom using mathematics. As the 17th century astronomer Galileo once said, quote, Mathematics is the language in which God has written the universe. End quote. Our guest on the next two episodes of Good Heavens is astronomer and author Dr. Jason Lyle, who talks with us about the late 20th century discovery of an entirely unknown universe, a purely mathematical universe filled with fractals. It is called the Mandelbrot Set, developed in part by an IBM computer engineer, Benoit Mandelbrot, in 1980 from previous work in 1978 by Robert W. Brooks and Peter Matelski. Supercomputer calculations of a simple equation revealed unending patterns of wonder, design, and beauty, the likes of which have never finally been explained by a purely naturalistic worldview. The laws of the universe are expressed in mathematics. As cosmologist Alexander Vilenkin wonders, quote, If the medium of mathematics is the mind, does this mean that mind should predate the universe? End quote. Yes, the mind of God himself does indeed predate the universe. The Mandelbrot set is not the invention of man, not a computer glitch, not an accident of nature, but rather designs and patterns created by and through Christ Jesus our Lord, reflecting his infinite wisdom, his infinite holiness, his infinite love, mercy, grace, and creativity for us to discover and enjoy and bring him glory. So come and see the Mandelbrot set on this episode of Good Heavens. Dr. Lyle, it's wonderful to have you here on Good Heavens. Thank you for joining us today. It's fantastic to have you. You have a new book out that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, a wonderful book for anybody. I mean, you have written this. It's, it's, it's about math, but it's about beauty and design and truth. It's called Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. I just got this. It's a beautiful book. 
It is a beautiful book. Congratulations on a visually stunning book, Dr. Lyles. Fantastic. Um, and so what we're looking at is not some... The designs in this book are recently discovered. Um, they're not man-made creations of a modern-day Picasso or something. We're looking at, at mathematical patterns. Uh, so why don't you just jump in and tell us, like, how can math give us beauty? What is going on here, Dr. Lyle? Yeah, well, it's, it's my conviction as a Christian that God's mind is responsible for mathematics and God's mind is responsible for the beauty we see in the physical world. And so it, it, sh it doesn't surprise me to find beauty in mathematics as well. And, and by the way, I, I should point out, too, that you don't have to know anything about mathematics to read this book and enjoy it. That's absolutely uh, true. If, if you yes. understand 2 plus 2 equals 4, that's all you need. Right. Uh, because it's just it, basic addition and, and multiplication. You don't have to have had calculus or anything like that. Yeah. And, and really only the first chapter in the book goes into just a little bit of mathematical detail so you can understand what it is that the rest of the book is about. And then the rest of the book is exploring these beautiful shapes that have been built into numbers by, I would argue, the creator of numbers. And, uh, and as, as revealed when we explored mathematical relationships between them. Uh, this all started really in the, well, I mean, if we really wanted to back it up to 1978, that would be it. But really the 1980s is when we started discovering these things because um, uh, mathematicians were very interested in recursive algorithms. And, and a recursive algorithm is something that you do over and over again, where you take the output of it, whatever it is, a number, and you put that back in as the new input and you get another output and you put it back in and you do it, you, know, you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And uh, one of the things that was very surprising to mathematicians is that in some of these algorithms, if you change the input by just a little bit, it results in enormous change in the, in the sequence as you run it through many, many times. Some, you know, sometimes that sequence will remain small. Other times it'll get really, really big. And just a very small change in the initial condition can change that. And, hmm. and today we refer to that as, as chaos. Yeah. And it, it has a specific meaning in mathematics. It doesn't just mean sort of messiness. It, it means that a very small change in the initial conditions can result in a huge change uh, in the outcome. And in particular, one uh, set that people were looking into, it's called the Mandelbrot set. It's a set of numbers that are defined by this little recursive algorithm. And the, the algorithm is very simple. It's Z squared plus C. That's it, Z squared plus C. So Z is one number, C is a different number. C is the number you're checking to see if it belongs to this set. Z is a number that is initially zero. And so you, initially you have zero squared plus whatever number you're checking, C. Uh, maybe it's the number one. You're checking to see if the number one belongs to the Mandelbrot set. So you have zero squared plus one. That's your new number. Well, zero plus one is one. You take that, you put it back in. That's the new value of Z. So Z squared, one squared is one plus one is two. Put it back in, two squared, that'd be four plus one is five. Put it back in, five squared, 25 plus one, 26. You put it back in and so on. And you can see what's happening there is the sequence gets really, really big. You know, you know one, two, you know, five, et cetera. And so um, that number C does not belong to the Mandelbrot set if that sequence gets big. And you'll find for other numbers like zero or negative one, the, se the sequence remains small. And you can see why this began to flourish in the 1980s because it's tedious for human beings to run a yeah to, to do, do all that calculating right yeah yeah even if you have a calculator it's 
it's a little tricky, but uh, it was in the 1980s that computers were starting to get really, really fast to the point where they could run these calculations very quickly for many different numbers. And then it occurred to somebody to make a map to see which numbers belonged to this set. And what they did was they plotted the so-called real numbers on the x-axis and the so-called imaginary numbers on the y-axis. Mm -hmm. Imaginary numbers are numbers that when you square them, you get a negative. Okay. So I squared equals negative one. And that's kind of weird because their yeah, numbers are not positive or they're not negative, but they're not zero. Right. And so you can think of them as being along a different axis. And those are those are well studied and and it's real simple. You just need to remember that whenever you take an imaginary number, you square it, you get a negative. It's that it's that simple. And I hate the terminology because imaginary makes you think they're not. Yeah. They exist. Right. You exist. Right. Right. But anyway, when uh, when people took and 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 ran the numbers through the computer to see, to make a map of which numbers belonged to the Mandelbrot set. They got a really interesting uh, shape. It looks kind of like a kind of a heart-shaped structure with circles growing off of it. And nobody was expecting that yeah. because it's such a simple little formula, Z yeah. squared plus C. You think, well, if you run the numbers to see which belong, maybe you get a circle or something. No, you get this incredibly complicated shape. Then the uh, mathematician and uh, program computer programmer, Benoit Mandelbrot, who was working at IBM at the time, he started assigning color values to uh, how, if, if the uh, sequence of Z gets big really fast, he'd give it a bright color. And if it gets big slow, he'd give it a dark color. And that colors the exterior of the map. And it, it turned out to be incredibly beautiful. And what was even more amazing is when you zoom in on this shape, and all it is is a map of which numbers belong to this little formula. Mm -hmm. When you zoom in on it, it gets more complex and prettier, and some of the shapes are remarkable. They're yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, this is, you know, somebody put a lot of thought into this. And I would say, yeah, but it wasn't a human being. This is built right. in the numbers. Right, right. It's, it's, so it's phenomenal. The book, the, the, yeah, the book is really about exploring the shape. The first chapter tells you how, how we discovered the shape, and the rest of the book is just having fun exploring the shape. So, you know, yeah. you know, really not much math after chapter one. Yeah. The rest of it's just, let's, let's, let's look at the shape and see what's in there and what does it all mean yeah and and as, as i'm going through this book i'm like this looks just like some computer design well it is a computer design but it looks like it was intentionally designed by human beings you know in this day and age of computer art and technology we think oh somebody just made this but uh it's it's that's not the case you're arguing that that uh i read a little bit of background in preparation for our, our chat uh that mandelbrot um, was, was a little arrogant. I mean, there's a little controversy in, in a surrounding, hey, I did it, I discovered this, but it seems to be a, a collaborative effort, which really has been, uh, I think, validated in the last 40 years that, that this, this wasn't just the, the creation of one intelligent computer programmer. Uh, this was a discovery. This was not something, people were arguing that this was maybe an offshoot of the computer uh, a computer, uh, just the computer, a byproduct of the computer or something, or uh, there's intentional human input into this. I mean, there is in selecting variables, but the bottom line is you're arguing that these patterns in this book were not the product of human design. Is that correct? That's right. And and you're, you're correct. Early on, people thought maybe this shape was uh, an artifact of the way the computer program was written. It was It was a mistake, in other words that if you really did this calculation manually, you wouldn't get that. Well, we now know that's false. Mathematicians yeah. have demonstrated, at least that the main features of the Mandelbrot set, the main cardioid, the main discs, mm -hmm. and, and so on, uh, those are genuine. 
And so if, in, the, in other words, if you did the same thing by hand, which would be tedious, if you ran it through <laughs> yeah. by hand and colored the points, you'd get exactly the same result the computer does. It just does it fast. Right. And so all the computer's doing is just, it's, it's um, discovering which points belong to the set and making a map mm. of the result. That's but it doesn't determine which points belong. Yeah. The rules of mathematics and the formula determine which points belong. And All so right. that's something that, that human beings don't have any. I mean, we could, we could pick the formula. Sure. But once you pick the formula and you run the numbers through to see which belongs, that's determined by the rules of mathematics. You're stuck with it. Yeah, that's what right, it is. Right, exactly. What it is. And, and the fact is people were surprised by the resulting shape. And so that alone ought yeah, to demonstrate. It was shocking. something that people designed. Yeah, right. it was shocking. You wouldn't, you wouldn't make something and then be surprised by properties. Right. It's, like, uh, it's something like uh, discovering this beauty, Jason, reminds me of what hit uh, observational astronomy uh, with the Hubble deep fields and, and the, the, the legacy fields that we now have from Hubble. People were absolutely stunned, speechless. Even Bob Williams, of the director of, of Hubble, uh, the Space Telescope Science Institute, when they uncovered the first deep field off of the Big Dipper handle, there were no words. You have thousands of galaxies in this spot of sky, no bigger than the head of a pin. Wow. Look at this magnificent beauty that was hidden from us for so long. But now we have the technology with Hubble and now with computers to uncover the beauty of the universe, not only galactically, but mathematically mm -hmm. right here under our noses. Now, yeah. um, for some of my skeptic friends, Jason, uh, let's just briefly take an aside before we get into this design, the beauty of the designs here that we'll show people. Um, Let's talk a little bit philosophically about mathematics, uh, because some will argue mathematics was, you know, there's that ongoing debate, mathematics, was it discovered or was it invented? And so how does the Mandelbrot set uh, help us uh, better understand this ongoing debate between mathematics being discovered or being invented? What do you say? Yeah, and, and there is a discussion of that in, mm -hmm. in the book. Mm -hmm because I would argue that no mathematics is discovered. Great. Now, there's certain things that we get to define uh, in terms of how, how we express a number, like numerals. Numerals are human invention. You know, we can either write one and, yeah. you know, like that, or we can, or there's Roman numerals, and so there's different ways to express numbers. But numbers themselves aren't something we invented. They're something that we discovered. Mm. And that um, is particularly the case. Well, one, one example of this would be the so-called irrational numbers, things like pi, that have an infinite decimal expression and therefore cannot be expressed as the ratio of two integers. Mm. So they're called irrational because they can't be expressed as a ratio. Mm -hmm. Those were discovered by the Greeks. And the interesting thing about that is they hated them. The, the Greeks <laughs> were very disturbed by the fact that these numbers existed. We don't that like could them. not be expressed as a ratio of two, of two integers. They hated that. Mm. It was probably the first time in history that a mathematical truth had been discovered that was not anticipated and not desired. And so, obviously, if mathematics was something that people invented, we wouldn't we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't right. make it in a way that's undesirable to right, us. Right, right. But but nonetheless, irrational numbers came as a as a logical result of the fact that well, the Pythagorean theorem. And in order to solve that, you need to take a square root to get the. If you know the legs and you want to get the hypotenuse, you have to take square root, and the square root of some integers is irrational. Mm. In fact, it's not an integer; it's it's irrational. Mm. Mm. So uh, that was something that. It, mathematics led to that discovery, and yet it wasn't something that people wanted. Mm. And and fra fractals are the same way in the sense that uh, nobody was expecting to find these shapes built into the, the laws of mathematics. Mm. We use laws of mathematics. We 
Uh, they're very effective. We they're they're applicable to the universe, which is another issue we should probably get into at some point. But um, and that makes sense again from the Christian perspective. But no, it's not something that human beings created because for one thing, fractals are infinite. At least the kind that we're exploring in this book, these mathematical fractals. You can zoom in on them. You can zoom in and zoom in and zoom in forever, and you'll find that they get more complex as you zoom in. Mm-hmm. You'll find uh, baby versions of yeah. the original shape yeah. built within it. Yeah. which is remarkable but they but the baby versions have more uh, complexity on their exterior mm. they, they they gain additional the, the basic shapes the same but they gain additional structure to tendrils and and uh, dendrites things like that and that is not something that human beings can do we can't make something that's infinite that's mm. that's beyond our capacity because we're finite yeah, yeah. and so it, again that 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 uh, demonstrates that this can't be a human invention uh, okay we can take credit for checking the formula we, we picked the formula but it turns out when you pick different formulas you also can get fractal shapes that's something else that the book mm. um, explores is what happens if you try a different formula do you get a fractal and in many cases yeah you do and they're infinite yeah they're beautiful yeah and so i would argue that the the beauty and complexity that's built into numbers it's not something that human beings can take credit for because it's infinite and because it was a surprise. It was something yeah. we were not expecting. Yeah, you know, when I saw the original structure of the shape, minus all the, the tendrils and details we'll get into, um, and this is just more of a technical observation because I love astronomy. I'm not an astronomer, but I, I love astronomy. The basic shape of the Mandelbrot set mapped out, that heart-shaped structure, reminded me of the structure of Lagrange points. In, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, a, a similarity there. I mean, there's, yeah. there may be correlations there, but but it, what I, the point there is that there is a, a as you've alluded to, a connection between the mathematics we discovered and the universe that we are continually discovering uh, is best expressed in your field of discipline uh, through the language of mathematics. And uh, yes. if we invented mathematics, the naturalist is bereft of trying to explain why something we invented tiny little creatures on a very tiny little planet uh, would be so efficacious in describing the enormity of the cosmos. Uh, yes, just indeed. There's no explanation for that. Why would that work? Yes, you know. But I love your point in the book and what you say about the Greeks not liking uh, the conclusions that the math was leading them to. This, this, uh, this certainly does attest to the fact that uh, we didn't make this because we'd make something that we would like. Right. <laughs> That's our nature. We want to make something that agrees with our conclusions. So yeah. let's uh, let's just jump right into the uh, to the basic structure itself. Uh, Jason, we have um, I'm going to put some visuals up here on the screen. So just have that in mind as, as, as you're describing these things. Let's go into the what are we looking at here in the basic heart shaped structure, the big the main structure of the Mandelbrot set? What exactly are we looking at? That shape is called a cardioid. And that shape is what is produced if you take a circle, you take another circle and attach it, and you put your pencil on the outer circle and roll it around the inner circle, keeping your pencil affixed to the same point on the outer circle. That is exactly the structure that you will get. And so it's it's exactly a cardioid. And that's another thing that's been demonstrated mathematically. Uh, so that's that's the main feature of the Mandelbrot set, this cardioid. Mm-hmm. And then all the shapes that grow off of it that are on the perimeter are perfect circles. And they are perfect circles. There's one that's growing right off of the negative one with a radius of exactly one fourth. So I mean, we'd, expect, we'd expect mathematical shapes, but nobody was really expecting a cardioid. And 
And why is that? We're not rolling circles around. So how do you get that? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. There's math connects things that we, we think are very, very different, but in fact, they're very similar. That's why pi, the number pi pops up in all kinds of things, uh, Gaussian distributions and uh, things that have nothing to do with a circle because that's how it was defined, right? It's the you know, circumference right. the and so on. But um, so, so, the, so it was amazing that a cardioid should be the main shape of the Mandelbrot set. But that's what it is. It's that's a, fantastic. You have in the book a diagram that it reminded me of uh, kind of what we're, again, we're going back to the universe here. You have a diagram with all the different sections of the cardioid, the Mandelbrot big graphic, of different sections that sound like a, a description of a slice of sky with constellations or galaxy names or something like that. Uh, they're fascinating, and they're named after the things that that the structures that you find within them. And uh, so, why don't we go deep into the Mandelbrot set, or or have we adequately? Ex- you did explain exactly how this kind of unfolds in terms of plugging in an equation. So let's look at at some of these different details in the Mandelbrot set. Let's go deep into uh, where do you want to go first? What what is what are one of the structures, the more finer details that we have on well, this? Let's start with the mini, the mini Mandelbrot. Okay. So we find that when you, you zoom in, one of one of the features we, we talked about the cardioid, we talked about the circles, and then there are other the other feature would be these I call them dendrites or yeah. tendrils, mm-hmm. little wiggly lines that go off. One of them is perfectly straight. And that's the one that's on the tail yeah. of the Mandelbrot. It's pre- and it goes right along the x-axis. Okay. So okay. The, it, it, there are no imaginary numbers there. The imaginary component is zero. And if you zoom in, there's a little bump on that, on that tail. And if you zoom in on that bump, it's in a, it's a baby version of the original. Yeah, Mandelbrot. that's fascinating. That's awesome. It is. Yeah. So you see again, you see the cardioid structure, you see the circles, and it's got a line. You know, it's got a tail growing off of it, hmm. and it's got a little bump on it. If you zoom in on that bump. It's another baby Mandelbrot set, even smaller. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's and it's got a bump on its tail, and so on. And you could do this forever. Wow. And so you keep zooming in. I I, I uh, in the book I show several iterations of this. Where you yeah. Zoom in four or five times. Just keep zooming and, in, uh, and you keep finding yeah. the same little Mandelbrot creature, creature, whatever. But but to explain for our audience what you're looking at, this is a graph. Uh, you know, you graphed it. You know, when you're in middle school and you're doing your numbers, and you graphed. The x and y coordinates. This is two negative two and three negative four, and you drew a you drew a picture of of your points on your graph. And that's what we're looking at here is our points on a graph drawn out infinitely uh, by supercomputers. And uh, so this yes. is all pictorial graphs of mathematical points on an x and y axis with the negative with the imaginary numbers going north and south, if you will. And the real numbers going east and west on that uh, on that axis. Would you say, Jason, the imaginary numbers are um, in astronomy? Do do people posit imaginary numbers as uh, representative of other dimensions? Is that what we're looking at here, or is it just more simple than that? Well, they can be used to represent uh, a dimension other than the. Uh, it, you can think of the real numbers as being one dimensional mm-hmm. and the imaginary numbers as being one dimensional in a different direction. And so the two together form a two dimensional plane. And people, people have thought about it that way for a very long time. It makes sense okay. because if, you know, if you think of the real number line and you think of positive numbers being to the right of zero and negative numbers being to the left of zero, how would you plot a number that's not positive, not negative, and not zero? Mm. You'd have to plot it on a different axis. And so it makes sense to think of of numbers as inherently two-dimensional. The real numbers on the x-axis are one-dimensional. The imaginary numbers are one-dimensional in a different dimension. 
And then you can plot complex numbers, which have a real component and an imaginary component mm. as being off axis. Mm. And that is applicable to our physical universe. The problem is our physical universe is three-dimensional, at least in terms yeah. of space. We have three dimensions right. of space. We have X, Y, and Z. But it turns out that there are certain physics problems that if the if, if one dimension doesn't matter, like maybe you're looking at fluid flowing, but it's only it's constrained to a plane. So the fluid's flowing only in two dimensions. You can use complex numbers to solve um, what happens in terms of fluid dynamics. That's something that I've done as part of my uh, graduate work. But you can't do it in three dimensions mm. because numbers are two dimensional. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because we might have, we, again, this is something that if we had invented numbers, we might have made them three dimensional because then that would correspond to the three mm-hmm. dimensions of our space. Right. But nope, numbers are two dimensional. That's it's fascinating. That. People have invented concepts similar to numbers called quaternions that'll give you two extra dimensions. And that's mentioned in the book too. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting discussion in and of itself. Yeah, it really so is. You, so you can use numbers. Uh, real and imaginary to solve equations when when two dimensions and only two dimensions are involved. That's fantastic. So these pictures, again, to reiterate for our audience, these pictures are graphed points uh, points on a graph. These are pictograms of mathematical uh, of solutions to this math, very simple z squared uh, plus c equation. And so what you're seeing is just a continual repetition of getting a getting an answer, putting it back into the equation, getting another answer. Now, um, you briefly touched on it, but let's just clarify something, that not all numbers work in the Mandelbrot set. So the Mandelbrot set is very exclusionary when it comes to what works in the equation and doesn't. Now, all numbers will 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 work. I mean, you can plug in a number and get an answer, uh, but not all answers that you get show up in this graph, right? So what, what are the numbers that work and don't work, and how does that work? Yeah, well, the numbers that are part of the set are plotted in black. And I can tell you just from memory that zero works. It's part of the Mandelbrot set. Mm. So is negative one. So is negative two, I think, is the last point on the real axis. Positive one fourth works. Positive a half does not. Positive mm. one half is not part of the Mandelbrot set. Mm. And so it is not colored black. So basically all the points, so, so once you get the map, and I think it's figure 1.2 in the book that shows uh-huh. you the overall Mandelbrot set, and it's got the coordinates. It's got the, the, the real and then the imaginary coordinates. So once you have that shape, you don't have to run the numbers through the formula. You can look at the map. The computer's done the work for you. Mm. And so you could say, okay, does uh, one plus I, does that, you know, uh, is that part of the Mandelbrot set? Is it black? No, it's not black. So it's not part of the Mandelbrot set. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, but, but the interesting thing to me is not so much whether or not the point belongs, but rather the map itself. That was, yeah. that was what was surprising. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it was interesting enough to talk about, you know, whether these numbers, belo- whether this number belongs or not. And the fact that you can't just by looking at a number tell. You know, if I just if I give you um, one half I, you, you can't you can't in your head know if that belongs or not. You got to run it through the formula hmm. a few times, hmm. and so that's that's why computers were so uh, useful in discovering which points belong. But was what was more remarkable was the map itself. Yeah, nobody expected it to have that kind of infinite complexity. Now, is, and the fact that when you when you zoom in on a portion of it, you get a baby version of the original. Yeah, and and that's what a fractal is. A fractal yeah. is something that when you zoom in on it you get a smaller version of the original shape, either exactly or it looks similar to the original shape. Now you have, uh, just kind of jumping to the end of the book, just really quickly as a question, you have examples of fractals in nature, snowflakes and flowers and galaxies and spirals and things like this. Is there any hint in the history of mathematics with which you're familiar that suggests that anything like the Mandelbrot set would even exist? Or is this really like in the last 40 years we, we've stumbled onto this? There, there's no indication... 
because of the necessity of the kind of computation involved, Greeks and everybody else, Pythagoras and everybody since then, nobody had any idea this existed. Yeah, in terms of the shape of the map, that that was unknown until 1978. That was the first time anybody plotted the Mandelbrot set. And even then, it was a very low-resolution version. It wasn't until the 1980s that we started getting more complex shapes. So this basically, in my mind, this is a... This is a new universe to discover <laughs> yeah. that was unknown to our ancestors, yeah. and we can explore it now. And it's, it's not a universe that's made of atoms. It's a universe that's made of numbers. Mm. And the cool mm. thing is if you have a computer or access to a computer, and most people do these days. If you're watching this podcast, you have access to a computer, <laughs> and you can explore that universe yourself. Because in the book, I've actually included software, the software that I used to discover these shapes to to explore them, mm-hmm. you can do it yourself. Yeah. And I think that's cool because most most of us can't do that with the physical universe because we don't have access to Hubble. Right. We, we get to, fortunately, we get to enjoy the, the images because mm-hmm. paid for by our tax dollars. So right. we get to enjoy the results. But with the, uh, with the Mandelbrot set, that's a universe that you can explore for yourself. It is infinite, which means you can spend the rest of your life exploring it and you still won't have even scratched the surface. And and yet you can you can do it from the comfort of your own computer. That is just absolutely incredible. And uh, so, you know, and this brings up a why question about God. We have lots of why questions about God that may have no answers. But uh, I've always I've always wondered, like with the discovery of of the the immensity of our universe um, with galaxies and all this stuff and these these discoveries that have been forthcoming in the last century or so, including the Mandelbrot set very recently. um, Why? I wonder, and I'm not saying this is a question we can answer, but but just kind of thinking about it, because obviously you conclude that this is all reflective of the mind of our Creator, of God, of the Logos, uh, of Christ. And why does why do we why does God wait so many generations to show us these things? Why did He keep them veiled from from most of church history that that we get to see these things that our ancients uh, did not? What do you what do you think is going on there? Well, a couple things. First of all, God, God's glory has always been known to all people because anybody can go outside under the night sky and look up, and they they can see the majesty Absolutely. of the Lord in His creation. Yes, and so um, so it's God's glory has always been accessible to people in terms of being able to enjoy what God has made, and in in, in some sense, uh, in terms of the beauty of the night sky, the Milky Way, and so on. In some sense, the the average person has less access to that today yeah. in the sense that light pollution is such a big problem. Right, right. You know, most people live in a in a city or near a city and you go outside and you see kind of a glow and it's from the lights from the city. Right. Whereas in the past, I'm a little bit envious of my ancestors who could just go outside any night and look up and it's just perfectly black yes. and you could see the Milky Way and all that. Yeah. Um, I have to drive uh, about 40 miles to get away from the, the light pollution of Colorado mm-hmm. Springs, which isn't terrible, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel very blessed that I live in a time where where the Lord has allowed us to see far more than our ancestors have. Mm-hmm. And see, I would expect that to continue. Um, I I don't think we've come anywhere close to discovering all that there is. Yeah. Uh, there there may be an infinite number of secrets in the universe that we haven't discovered yet. And right. So a thousand years from now, if the Lord tarries, we may have we may be talking about things that we just haven't even conceived of yet. Right. So why, why today? I I, I think. It, this is my opinion. Sure. This is my speculation. Sure. I think it's a reward for the um, 
the obedience, faithfulness of our ancestors because the, the scientific method comes out of Christian thinking, mm. the fact that God upholds the universe in a consistent fashion for our benefit, mm. and therefore we can do something, we can probe the universe. God made our senses to be basically reliable. He, he gave us rationality so we can look at the various options and choose the best. Mm-hmm. God made the universe. God made us in his image, and so we have the capacity to explore the universe and understand it. And so, and indeed, the Renaissance and, and many of the uh, the scientific discoveries came from Christian thinking. And most of the founding fathers of science were either Christians or at least had a great degree of respect for the Bible as, as the Word of God. Absolutely. And as a result of that, technology has, has exploded. Yeah. And so, I think it's 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 a reward or a result of Christian thinking. And it'll be interesting to see as our nation increasingly turns away from God. Uh, it, you know, at some point, those blessings will be withdrawn. Yeah, so it's kind I, of frightening I, I, what we're the direction that we're we're headed as a nation. Um, given the history of nations, uh, our future is not looking. I hate to be pessimistic, but uh, when you get soft on the inside, uh, it makes it easy for people on the outside to come in and, and take over. Whole another discussion there, of course. But uh, you 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 bring up this issue of uh, what I see again and again inherently problematic for naturalism and materialism is this idea of an intelligible cosmos that. Uh, yeah. Uh, secular science is borrowing uh, in the language of uh, I say Frank Turk, atheists are stealing the intelligibility concept from God without being able to explain why the universe is intelligent and, and it was as you say the founders of Christianity who who assume the universe would be intelligible and thus worthy in, of investigation because God made it uh, to be intelligible and to be understood, as Romans 1 says and, and Psalm 111, 2. Greater the works of the Lord, they are studied by all who delight in them. That's on the, the Cavendish Laboratory over the door of the, the, the lab and, uh, that uh, John Clerk, James Clerk Maxwell put there uh, when he was, he was studying light. And so here we are, uh, as you say, a reward, a benefit of, of the faithful Christians that came before who were exploring nature and giving us a robust picture of, of God's design. Okay, so enough theory. Let's jump into yeah. the, the more of the specific beauty of, of this thing. We've we found little Mandelblots, tiny little Mandelblot babies. Uh, I think that's, that's really cute. Uh, let's go into uh, one of the things I love, these little valleys between the circles. Uh, when you zoom in on a valley, uh, let's, go, let's go to the elephants because they're on the outside there. They're in that little heart part. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Valley of the Elephants. Why, why this name and what's going on here? Uh, yeah, mathematicians love to give names to the various sections of the Mandelbrot <laughs> yeah. set, and I think that's fine. That's that's an aspect of human nature. We like to classify things. And, right. And indeed, when you zoom in on a cusp, anywhere where one part of the Mandelbrot connects to another, where there's this deep valley, trench, cusp, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's almost always a lot of tremendous beauty there. And so you have the Valley of the Seahorses, Valley of the Double Spirals, and the Valley of the Elephants, which is the one that's on the mm-hmm. on the right side of the main cardioid there. When you zoom in on that, it uh, you'll see these shapes, and, and lo and behold, it looks like little elephants marching along one yeah, after the other. Yeah. In fact, you'll find a series of, of perfect circles, and each circle has one elephant sitting on top of the yeah. on top of the circle, marching along. Yeah. And then if you do the, and then it's it's there's a mirror image of it, like elephants clinging to the roof upside down, mm-hmm. uh, going along the top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, if you zoom in on one of these elephants, you'll find that it has this uh, it has this really curly trunk that that curls up, and the farther into the cusp you go curlier the trunk gets yeah there's an infinite curl to the trunk it's a singular spiral correct as opposed to a double spiral which you go down into the elephants and again to reemphasize all we're looking at here are graphed pictorials 
of solutions to the Mandelbrot with various equations, various numbers being being plugged in. You mentioned chaos at the beginning, and I'd like to clear that up a little bit in relation to as we're looking at the Valley of the Elephants here. When when you hear that theory, I mean, I hear my skeptic friends will say this uh, that that you know a butterfly's wing, a little a little breeze, and you know a tsunami. However many you know years or however much time passes a butterfly can cause a tsunami that kind of thing but but here in mathematics when we're talking about chaos what we see is what you said earlier and i I think this is an important point we're adding very specific integers into this equation and we're getting very specific and controlled designs this isn't just a kindergarten scrawl right we're just not looking at uh, you know little scrawls from from a crayon uh, this is this is a controlled environment where the chaos is really just a matter of the design changing, not that design and intelligibility goes out the window. Correct? That that as yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chaos is not uh, it's not anti-design. It's mm-hmm. just that mm-hmm. chaos in, in in a mathematical sense refers to something that when you have a very small change in the starting point, it results in an enormous change in the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, one example, the, the point uh, one, the positive one-fourth uh, is the last point that belongs to the Mandelbrot set on the real number line. So if you add point zero, so, so basically if you, if you take one-fourth and you run it through the formula, I th- and I think it does belong, I think it's the limit of, that does belong. Mm-hmm. You run it through the formula, Z will stay bound, it'll stay small. Okay. But if you take one-fourth plus point zero 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 one and run it through the formula, Z will not stay bound. It will eventually get really, really big. Wow. And so the, the fact that you have one point that generates a sequence of Z that stays small and another point right next to it for which the sequence of Z gets big, that's an example of chaos because you've changed the initial condition by just a tiny amount and it results in a huge change in, in the outcome. And, and that's why it wasn't really until the 1980s that we could explore these things because mm. it required you to be able to run a number through the formula many, many times. Now, there, there people, mathematicians were aware of chaos before that. And so you, you can talk about Julia sets and things like that that, were, that preceded the, the discovery of the Mandelbrot set. But in terms of being able to plot them and, mm. and see the, the color shading, which <clears throat> demonstrates how, how quickly the point escapes, that wasn't done until the 1980s. Okay. All right. So we've been to the Valley of the Elephants. We have this wonderful infinite spiraling of elephant trunks. Um, we have another valley in this, the Valley of the Seahorses. Essentially, same thing going on. Same. Why? Okay, so, so my question is I'm watching this, uh, and I'm looking and watching your videos, and I'm, I'm seeing this. The difference in the valleys, say the elephant shape and, and now the seahorse shape, this is just, what, different variables? Why do we have such a... a, a, a what 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 do you what's the difference in the elephant seahorse? What, what mathematically what's going on? Well, it's a different. There are different numbers you're putting in. You're looking at a different section of the map, and it so happens that one section of the map, the, the way the uh, the way it branches out. And, and I sh- I should explain this too because when, when you see these images, you're going to see points that are very very bright, brightly colored, yeah. forming the shapes of the elephants and the seahorses and seahorse valley. And you might think, okay, because bright color, bright color means it's very close to being on the Mandelbrot set. Okay. So there should be a black point right next to it. Well, there is. It's just it's smaller than the ability of the printer to, to plot. Mm. So what you're really seeing with the, in these shapes is the Mandelbrot set. Points that do belong form this very thin thread that wiggles around and wiggles around and branches and branches into branches and forms these incredible shapes. And so, But the black thread itself is too thin to be plotted even okay and so you're seeing sections that 
the, the actual bright points are points that almost belong to the Mandelbrot set. They're very, very close. And so that tells you that the, the, the shape, the perimeter of the Mandelbrot set branches out and branches into these complex structures. And depending on which number you're, you're using, it'll either branch off and make like an elephant or it'll branch off and make like a seahorse. Wow. I'm not sure anybody's been able to explain exactly why you get those shapes, <laughs> but uh, there they are. That's fantastic. Now, um, so so we have the Valley of the Seahorses. We have mini Mandelbrots. We have elephants. What other surprises, uh, what other things delight you about this particular design, Jason? In, in the uh, in the Seahorse Valley, if you go to the other side of it, they give it a different name. It's called Double Spiral Valley. That's my favorite of, of all the sections of the Mandelbrot set. Mm-hmm. You get these gorgeous double spirals. Double spirals where you have two strands that wrap around each other, okay. but never touch except perhaps at the middle. So uh, so you, if you trace one strand, you'll see, yep, there's, there's one in between it as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them look like spiral galaxies, which yeah. is, I think, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's as an astronomer, I appreciate that. Absolutely. And so you you mentioned astronomy. We talked about astronomy. You are a professional astronomer. Um, I want to know. I'm dying to know as I'm reading your book. Um, what for you? What insights does this give us? Uh, or what insights does this give you for uh, the universe? Because the Mandelbrot set is one equation. Right, so I'm asking myself this as I'm reading this. I mean, this is just z squared plus c. Now, what kind of designs would be in other equations, Jason, and how would these be applicable to your field of study? Yeah, well, that's one of the things we explore in the book. Is yeah. After we go through the major features of the Mandelbrot set, I, I ask the question: What happens if we change the equation? Yeah. And it turns out if you change c, like c divided by two, or uh, times two, or plus a half, or whatever, it doesn't really it doesn't really do too much. It'll either move the Mandelbrot set or rotate it or make it bigger or smaller. Oh, okay. But if you change the power of Z, you get a totally different shape. And so I tried instead of Z squared, let's try Z cubed. And you get a, you get a different shape. And it turns out that everything goes, everything increases, which is interesting because we're increasing the power from two to three. And so the, the main shape, instead of being a cardioid where you have a single cusp, on the right side, you now have a nephroid, which has two cusps, oh. one on the left, one on the right. Wow. And a nephroid is what happens when you take a circle half the size of another one and, and do attach that. your pencil to one point and roll it around. Okay. You now get two cusps, one on the left, one on the right. Wow. And it's perfect. It's a perfect nephroid. And the circles, which have no cusps in the, in the Mandelbrot set, in this new set become cardioids, which have one cusp. That's so, and so cool. everything everything goes up by one. That's so cool. And occasionally something will go up by more than one. Like the mini Mandelbrots, those mm-hmm. get multiplied by four. So there are four minis in the uh, in the new shape. Okay. okay. And so it, it, you get the same kinds of properties, but everything goes up by one. There are these little bow tie structures yeah. in the Mandelbrot set that yeah. look like two overlapping, you know, two spirals that cross in the middle. And then in the uh, in this in this new set, they 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 grow an extra arm. So it's got they got three they look like those little uh, fidget spinners that, yeah that yeah yeah get that right, right. logical purpose yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they look a lot like that yeah yeah so it's uh, yeah great. it's interesting everything goes up by one so you you again have a new shape and, and this is mind-blowing to me because remember the original the original Mandelbrot set infinite complexity you can spend the rest of your life exploring that shape yeah. and you won't scratch the surface right it's one formula there's an infinite number of formulas that's amazing so, so that's that's fantastic that is fantastic. And, and, and again, in my view as a Christian, that, that makes sense because God is is the author of mathematics in the sense that his mind is responsible for it. And God is infinite, but he's not just infinite, he's infinitely infinite. 
Yeah. And, and that's wild too. And that's something that uh, if you if you get into the more advanced math, you, you find that there are different types of infinities mm. and some are bigger than others. And mm. it's, it's, it's wild. It's really very interesting stuff. 